Are you providing knowledge? Are you providing skills? Are you providing both? I don't know. On your campus. That's part of what we dig into today with my new friend, Al Kingsley. He's also the author of a book you should check out, which is called My Secret EdTech Diary. And he is an expert around all things digital. So he has some really interesting ideas when it comes to technology and how to adopt it, roll it out, that kind of thing. Um, and we also talk about what it's like to create a school that's actually responsive to community needs. So I hope you enjoy today's show. This is Danny, Chief Ruckus Makeover at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And thanks for listening to the show. This show is for ruckus makers, which means that's you and you invest in your continuous growth. You challenge the status quo and you're designing the future of school now. And we'll be right back after a few short messages from our show sponsors. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as a part of Leading Learning, a brand new Certificate of School Management and Leadership course from Harvard. Leading Learning runs from October 12th to November 9th, 2022. Apply by September 30th. Enroll by October 6th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Teachers use TeachFX to record a lesson and automatically get personalized insights into their classroom conversation patterns and teaching practices. See TeachFX for yourself and learn about special partnership options for ruckus makers at teachfx.com slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. All right, we're here with the ruckus maker, Al Kingsley, who's CEO of NetSupport and chair of a multi-academy trust, as well as the CEO and chair roles. Al is in Fed, co-chair of two groups, chair of the BISA EdTech Group, member of Ford's Technology Council, and chairs his regional employment and skills board. He's a well-known face in EdTech, speaking internationally, the author of My Secret EdTech Diary, and co-author of A Guide to Creating a Digital Strategy in Education. Al, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, hi. Good to see you, Danny. Good to see you as well, Al. So this is exciting. You had me on your podcast, too, and I actually should remember, let's talk about that in a, in a few minutes so we can point people uh, toward your show as well. But I want to I bring you back in time way back, right, when you were a student. And I'm really curious, you know, what do you remember from your school experience? And what does that remembering tell you? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think there are two things that I remember, and, and that these both, before I share them, might be more of a reflection on my academic prowess in my earlier years, or just on the things that I prioritized. The two things I suppose that I remember most, one are the teachers, or certain teachers, mm that I aligned with and that gave me encouragement and support. Uh, it might be that actually on reflection they gave me more latitude. I don't know. But either way, I embraced their support and nurture. Um, and the second thing, which kind of is something that's been a driver for me in many ways when I've thought about education and the bigger picture, 
has been some of those experiences, those experiences that allows you to grow or seek some independence. The first um, school trip away when you actually stayed on a mm. residential away from your home. Um, the, the experiences working as a team, going away on away sports matches. Um, yeah. and, and I think for many of us, those are the kind of things that, that, that stand out, are those kind of those really fond memories or those experiences that helped shape you somewhat into your later life. Right. Yeah. Do you remember? So you said your first, uh, you know, trip staying away from home. Can you remember what that was or where where that was? I can. It was it was in Yorkshire and it was an overnight sort of residential camp where we did kind of building bridges to get across a river and rafting and climbing on things. Um, And, and, you know, the the kind of things that kind of, yeah, for me, I remember them because they're that kind of, I think, when you look back as a child, your your recollections where you did far grander things than you really did. So probably right. when I was younger, in my head, we kind of climbed a mountain when actually it was probably a, a small hill. Little hill. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, they're the things that you kind of, you know, I always maintain the one thing that I want every child to leave school with is a love of learning and a passion to learn more, not a sense of, phew, I've got through that and never again. And I think yeah. those experiences can feed into that. So, yeah. Okay. I could be ignorant, so correct me if I'm wrong, but so my wife, her favorite tea is Yorkshire tea. Is that made in Yorkshire? It most certainly is. It's a very special blend and something that people in Yorkshire are very proud of, yes. <laughs> we uh, we buy a gigantic bag. I, it has hundreds. It might even have a thousand tea bags in it. That's how much she loves it. And uh, whenever we're over in the U.K., we, uh, we get as much as uh, they'll allow us to take back to the States. It sounds like your wife is Chief Ruckus Brewmaker. Chief Ruckus Brewmaker, for sure. She has a fine uh, fine taste for tea. Okay, we won't talk about that. You know, you, you're talking about this um, passion for learning, right? And uh, yes. not so much that you got through with it, but it's like this moment, right? And this love and passion for learning. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's an interesting one. I'm sure many educators, probably most educators, will kind of align with the views that, that many of us will share, irrespective of our kind of roles or experiences. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that um, in lifelong learning, you know, I, I often right. refer to myself that people that bump into me as an edu sponge, which is my kind of okay. polite way of saying many of the things I share are not things that I innovated personally, but I've learned from others and will pass on to the next person I meet as good ideas. And I think that that love of learning really comes down to inquisitiveness um, mm-hmm. and that, that sense of actually the, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. Sometimes that comes with a bit of mm-hmm. age and confidence to recognize that. But I also think it comes down to being equipped with the right skills to learn, how to find out, how to research, how to challenge the, you know, the accuracy of things and information. Sure. Um, and, and so for me, I think when we come to learning, you know, it, it, for our youngest students, things like reading, we want children to be passionate about reading because of the adventure and the things they're going to discover, not because they're necessarily getting a grasp of the correct pronunciation and phonetics of every word. That comes as a byproduct of a love and an appetite for consuming words and vocabulary. And so often we start off in our early years making play an integral part of learning. Right. And gradually as we get older, learning by the nature of the pressure and the curriculum and the challenges becomes less and less fun and more mm-hmm. uh, working to deadlines. 
And I think the more that we can maintain that sense of pleasure in learning, and that's easier said than done. I've been by no means, I'm, I'm coming to chat with you with all the answers, but I think the more that in the round we get that sense of, of education and learning is, is opening more and more exciting opportunities, then the more likely we are to make education sustainable for the next century. Yeah, well, there's something to that. You know, the play and the curiosity that connects to to making it fun, right? And if you can Absolutely. figure out how to make it make it fun, then it becomes that lifelong process, right? So I really appreciate, you know, you describing some of those conditions for a passion for learning. I know you love to talk about high-performing schools too, uh, but it's, it's, I'll just say it's interesting, right? Schools are measured in a variety of ways. And (laughs) yes, you know, so, so I'm just curious, how do you approach measuring and validating like what a high-performing school looks like? Well, you know, this is a topic that I, I do sometimes get slightly overly passionate about. Because give, of it, course, give it to us. Yeah. So listen, high-performing school system, no matter where you go in the world, there's a general rule, there's a standard set of measures, often yeah. and fundamentally linked around academic progress, right. that is deemed to be this, the measure of a high-performing school system. If we try and aggregate across the world all the different countries with their education school systems, we use ranking systems like PISA, where we take a snapshot of 15-year-olds and we look across core syllabus subjects and we identify the the knowledge acquisition and progress of a child in those key subjects. And then we can say this country is higher up the rankings than this country and so on, Um, Mm. with a view that we can then look to those high-performing systems and learn from them. And the truth is there is some merit in that to a point. The challenge is, are we really reflecting on a successful school system and a successful school, if we drill down, to purely being the sum of the qualifications a child accrues at the end of their journey? For me, increasingly, there's a narrative that says, whilst of course knowledge acquisition is key because it unlocks our ability to interact in a professional sense in in, in the world and, and, and communicate more effectively... But actually, increasingly, I think there's just as much measure around skills, around the, the rounded child, confidence, um, self-worth, um, our, our well-being, um, those skills we talked about in terms of challenging the validity of things, the, the mm-hmm. fostering inquis- you know, inquisitivity as well, looking at all those different skills that wrap around that make us the rounded person that we are. And some of the most amazing people in the world don't necessarily have to have the most certificates. Now, of course, there's a happy medium somewhere in there. But what tends to happen is governments want to be able to evidence that school systems are successful and each new inbound government wants to prove in some shape or form they've pulled the lever to make the school system better than the last government. And so we always end up levelling down to the narrowest set of measures we can think of mm. to, to provide those stats. And actually, one of the most for me, one of the most important things in any school, and I think about within our own schools, is, is actually breadth of curriculum. Because the truth is, we're all good at different things. And the more we narrow that field of measure down to those core curricular measures, the less inclusive our education system becomes, and more likely we are to have learners who feel left behind because they don't have that breadth. So, you know, shouldn't music and the arts and sport and other activities carry you know, greater prominence alongside, you know, not that I in any way disregard our, our, our math and our English and our STEM subjects in the broader sense, but there's more to life than. And I think 
the pressures on all of our school systems has been such that we've, we've, we've narrowed down and we've looked at some really, really specific measures. And if we take it to a really simplistic level that I'm sure all of us will reflect on from our own experiences in education, do we really think it's fair that in many countries the sum of three years learning should be judged and measured based on two, two or three hour examinations? And often the response I get is, well, we have to do it some way. And yet, as students finish those exams, those two or three examinations that judge their complete measure of their success of the three years, and they go on to a more important qualification in college or university. And the bulk of that qualification is done based on coursework, work done throughout the academic year, along with an exam that counts for a small percentage of the marks at the end. And so we kind of convince ourselves that the only way to do it effectively is to have these end of learning period exams Yet for the really important ones, we managed to convince ourselves that assessing a student all the way along towards their final score is perfectly reasonable. So for me, there's a contradiction. And I think the more we can recognise that the fairer we make the way that we test and measure a child's understanding and success in subjects, the more likely we are to actually have a reflective system of how effective our education is actually delivering in our country. Yeah. And I will it's step off a- my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, we welcome it, and I appreciate that. And, I, I, you know, I don't think I've ever heard, actually, if I have, I've forgotten, but I really appreciate the point of the, almost the misalignment between these high-stake tests during the students, you know, early years, and then they finally get to uni or college, and, you know, they're getting assessed along the way, right? And it's not just the one test, the two tests to, to get out and to graduate. And uh, that's, a, that's a really important point. Then the, the narrow focus that you're talking about in terms of, uh, you know, classical education or that kind of thing, to me, it almost seems like a race to the bottom or something, you know, uh, if we just keep that focus in my soapbox, but I'll, I'll keep it short because you're the hero of this show. But I remember in Chicago, you know, I really disagreed with this idea and I thought it was quite stupid to be quite honest. They increased the school day. So I'm not saying increasing minutes is bad, Right. But they increased the school day because their assertion was our students are low in math and reading, so they need more math and reading, right? But all they did was add more minutes. They didn't change the instruction. The quality of the teacher, the quality of the curriculum didn't change. So you're just getting more of the same. <laughs> and what got, what got caught too, music, right? The arts, play, curiosity, creativity, all these other areas, which, you know, uh, I think actually enhances a student's ability to be successful in what we might call core curriculum. And then the the people who made those decisions, right, the mayor and the other politicians, their kids went to these private institutions that had almost an abundance of music and theater and art offerings. But for everybody else's kids, it disappeared. And I was just, you know, that really bugs me. So feel free to respond if you want, or I can. Well, I'm going to, I'm simply going to agree with you that the concept that when children are struggling when it comes to academic achievement in a particular subject, the simple solution is more of, I think is so fundamental that fundamentally it will always be not just about more of, but it's about how it's delivered, whether you have the time to enrich, whether you have the time to introduce different ways of teaching and learning, different ways to actually get that engagement. You know, often the biggest challenge we find in schools is the gap between our most academic and learners and those children who become more disengaged. And we always talk about wanting to make education as inclusive as we can. 
But what tends to happen is the more we narrow the field, actually the more we encourage that disengagement and those Mm. less academic children in specific core subjects to feel that the curriculum doesn't reflect them. And the journey is one about highlighting their failures rather than providing them with platforms to highlight their successes. And if we come all the way back to the start of our conversation about having that positive memory of learning and therefore that, that appetite to do more, and whatever professional career you choose, there's always learning journeys and needs to continue to develop your experiences. That's fundamentally built on having positive experiences as a child, that learning is something that is stimulating and rewarding. Yeah, yeah. I think what we're talking about too is a school being responsive to the, the students and the community they're in, they're in front of too. And so, what, you know, what, what could you share with the ruckus maker watching or listening to today's show about being responsive to community needs? Um, That's a really good question. I I mean, I think the first one is, you know, I often talk about ed tech and people always say, so what's the recipe for a school? And in that (laughs) context, I always start by saying, well, the first thing is no two schools are alike because you'll have a different cohort of staff and students and a different community. And, And the same applies when you want to be reflective of a community. I think schools are are measured on their, you know, on on that curriculum standard and and delivery. But actually, high-performing schools, often when you look in particularly in in, in areas where you've got very broad and mixed communities, is much more about their quality of co-production and community engagement, actually recognising what community, what skills. We we talk about it in the UK as place-based. In other words, if you live in a deprived area in the north of England where all of the children go to school and at the end of their academic journey, there's one large factory making cars at the end of the road. And beyond that, there's very few jobs. It becomes incumbent on you to adapt so that you can teach children skills, whether it's on programming robots and automation and other skills that provide them with an opportunity to excel within their place, as well as Mm. not necessarily just having to leave the area. And so I think schools that engage with their community and by community, not just families, but businesses in the broader sense, as, as well as the school community itself, um, are, are often much more effective on how they, they shape their learning journey. I, I like individuality in schools. I think it's really important not to f- be too close to that, that, that magic recipe of, of we all do it this way and that's what works best. I see it wearing a different hat with um, my role as chair of an alternative provision academy, which roughly translates as in, in, in my setting as young people who struggle in mainstream education. They've been excluded for behavioural reasons or find that the mainstream setting doesn't work. And nine times out of ten, that behaviour is a result of challenges in their personal life, in their upbringing as a child, that they've not sure. had the best opportunities and, and don't always have the tools to express that frustration. Or as we've been talking about earlier, find that what's expected in the class is beyond them. They feel a failure and therefore they become disengaged. And so I think sometimes, again, looking at that recognition that actually all stepping stones are, you know, one step towards progress and success. We shouldn't always be racing to unless you achieve a level X, you are a failure. It's about progress. For some of our learners, one or two academic qualifications is a huge achievement for them and should be celebrated just as much as another child achieving, you know, straight level ones or A's, depending on where you are in the world, on their academic qualifications. So in many ways, I I guess I try and preach the view, and I do within our own map, which is actually breadth of provision, appropriateness of provision, a safe, nurturing environment 
are worth a few places down the league tables for me. I'll sacrifice the league tables if it means that we get a better experience for our learners. And if the government want to come and knock on our door and say, oi, you haven't done as well as you could have done, then we should have confidence that we can argue the rationale as to the decisions we've taken. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm hearing, you know, just uh, progress over perfection in, in some respects, but seeing every kid and being personalized in the approach and celebrating, celebrating growth versus like everybody has to be here at the end of the year, right? Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Really appreciate that. Well, Al, I'm, I'm really enjoying our conversation. We're going to pause real quick to get in a few messages um, for our sponsors. When we come back, I'd love to talk a little more uh, to you just about digital and digital tools. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Courses include leading change, leading school strategy and innovation, leading people, and leading learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. School leaders know that productive student talk drives student learning, but the average teacher talks 75% of class time. Give your students more opportunities to learn in class by monitoring this talk time. Check out TeachFX for yourself and learn more at teachfx.com slash BLBS. Today's show is also proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal-setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at organizedbinder.com. And we're back with Al Kingsley, CEO of NetSupport, and also the author of My Secret EdTech Diary, which I'd love to talk about in just a second. I'm going to highlight Becky Carlson, who left a few comments for us. And just for the podcast listeners, we also stream live. She is all in, 100% on lifelong learning. And she's asking, too, when do we stop playing, right? That's a really great question to ask. And I don't never know. Never, I hope. Yeah, well, certainly not me. I'm playing all around. Like, you can see up here, too. I still have toys. And uh, I love to be creative and paint and play music and, yeah, play all the time. And then Becky uh, also highlights somebody, which I'm not um, familiar with, Professor Bill Lucas, but she said he's doing some great work around uh, portfolios of growth in the early years. So maybe uh, check out Professor Lucas's work. But Al, you are today's star. You wrote an awesome book that we highly encourage ruckus makers check out called My Secret EdTech Diary, looking at educational technology through a wider lens. So when it comes to all things digital, how do we know it works? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only it was that easy. To, yes, I mean, yeah. that, that is the nub of it, isn't it, really? You right. know, and it was kind of the catalyst for me writing, writing the book. Um, first and foremost, by the nature of the title, um, I hope readers will get a sense that I don't take myself too seriously. It's meant to be a conversation and a walkthrough yeah. experiences, what we've learned, particularly in recent years, and therefore the opportunities mm. moving forward. And the key thing that's definitely changed on the narrative, Danny, you know, and I'm preaching to the converted on this, is is understanding that this is not about technology for technology's sake. It's about evidence-informed technology where we can actually measure an impact. 
And we have, back to that earlier conversation, learned to widen the lens a little bit where impact is not just about shifting the dial on academic outcomes, but technology that can improve student or staff well-being, closing the feedback loop, improving communication from school to home. There's lots of other ways that technology can support keeping our children safer when they're interacting with new digital tools online. Um, But fundamentally, it's about making sure that rather than trying to adopt loads of different things all at once because, hey, aren't we supposed to? EdTech's cool, right? And we need to have more digital because that's the future. It's about making sure that for each solution, we start with that kind of co-production. What are we trying to achieve? How are we going to measure it? You know, why are we doing these things? Um, and, and that starts with building, you know, I always argue a strong digital strategy or digital vision within your school yeah. or district. Right. Then once you've got that co-production, all those stakeholders, and at the heart of that should be teachers and students. And then around that will be parents. Senior leadership of your school or district will want to feed in with your strategic priorities that you've got. You'll have other stakeholders there, the tech team, making sure you're building on a solid foundations in terms of your infrastructure. Data and privacy, really hot topics, need to be part of that mm-hmm. consideration. Safeguarding, online safety, um, thinking about the broader topics like inclusivity and accessibility so that our learners with special educational needs can access that benefit. And then around that, there might also be finance, which I always argue dictates the speed of the journey, but shouldn't dictate the, the direction of travel. Mm. And then the biggest one that sits all around that is PD, the thing that unlocks the potential of technology. Right. And so often we budget for new devices or new applications, but right. we don't budget the support for the PD. How do we use it? And then we're shocked and surprised when it doesn't have the impact we expected. So there are things we can do, as well as the PD. We can make sure that we look for the evidence sources, whether it's the anecdotal by looking at what other peers are using, whether it's the correlational, comparing in trials, one cohort versus another. It could be some of the sort of causal stuff where we're looking at research papers, white papers that are evidencing the, if it's a pedagogy-aligned technology, actually the measures of impact and outcomes. Um, And sometimes it's about looking at those kind of broader economies of scale. You know, some technology isn't about teaching and learning. It's about making systems more efficient across our district or presenting data in a more effective way that can then feed and save time for teachers and learners. And I'd argue, you know, A, I'd like to save money wherever possible so we've got more in the pot for the actual coalface of teaching and learning. Uh, And secondly, the most valuable commodity in our school is time. So anything I can do to free up time to allow teachers to do what they're amazing at, which is that, you know, that dynamic relationship with learners, then all the better. So, you know, what I try to share in the book is experiences of why do projects from over the last 30 years succeed or fail? What have we learned during this huge accelerator of the pandemic and, and the way that educational technology has become much more prevalent within our schools? And then that what are the next steps? How do you shape a digital strategy? And how do you make sure that you you actually measure impact? And, and actually, it doesn't matter whether I'm wearing my hat as, as a, a, a chair of a multi-academy trust in the UK or as an edtech CEO. Nobody wants people buying technology but doesn't deliver. It doesn't do any favours for the sector and it doesn't do any favour for our schools. We want the right tools in the hands of the right people. And lots of it is good shows like yourself, Danny, and many others, which is actually sharing good advice, practical tips that build as part of that ring on the on the professional development, providing yeah. people with sources to go and, and hopefully avoid a few pitfalls and signposting them on where they can go and find resources that will help them on their journey. 
That's great. And you really gave us a framework there nicely to evaluate, you know, what tools we should be adopting and what the rollout will look like and what will work for the community and that kind of thing. Are there any other uh, tips that you'd like to offer a ruckus maker watching or listening to the show uh, in terms of um, using technology? And maybe, maybe for some of the ruckus makers who hadn't experienced that uh, had less technology involved, right? And so it's, how do I how do I even build this relationship, right, with technology and that kind of thing? Don't be afraid to fail, Danny. Mm-hmm. Most things we try, don't they absolutely don't have a track record where everything we try will succeed. My view mm-hmm. is you have to take risks, you have to try things in order to innovate. And right. if you have a mindset within your school, within your district, where you are empowered to try new things, but not held over your head if it's a failure, use it as a positive learning journey. If you continue with the mindset of sharing your successes and your failings with your peers, whether it's in your social media or just within your closer teaching cohort, then actually we all benefit and we all move the the dial further forward. And I think that was one of the very few positives that came from a pandemic was we suddenly had to mitigate delivering a hybrid model of teaching and learning. And so staff were empowered to go try stuff, go find solutions that might work. And some worked great and some just didn't. And that's okay. And I think sometimes within our professional lives, we're always very nervous of trying things that might backfire and make us look bad because we made the decision. But Mm. you've got to try stuff. And I think that's kind of the thing I would encourage people. Don't be afraid to try things. Back to the idea of progress, not perfection. And that's the thing is if you change that relationship with failure and see it as a teacher, right, in a learning moment, it's a very powerful learning moment. Some of my more popular posts from time to time, I'll write uh, a failure resume or the greatest ways I failed in the past year because I know it's it's taught me something, right? And I I like to growth mindset mindset, and I love to frame it, right, and talk about, hey, what's an experiment you could run? Because we know that experiments usually don't work out, but it, it gets us a little bit further along the way. And so if we, and it's kind of back to the idea of play, like how are you playing professionally yeah. uh, in order to innovate and iterate within our wonderful industry of education. So very cool. Before we get to the last couple questions that I asked all my guests, do you mind just sharing the title of your podcast and what that's all about in case some ruckus makers want to start listening over yeah, to you. I, I have a few, none as fantastic as yours, of course, Danny. But um, the main one that we've dis- had a lovely conversation with your good self on yeah. is NetSport Radio. That's um, right. a podcast channel that sits alongside our business. And we interview educators and IT innovators from all around the world on a regular basis, covering all sorts of different topics. Um, I also have a podcast called EdTech Shared, which is a platform for sharing EdTech conversations. But if you head over to netsportsoftware.com, you'll see a big swoosh for NetSport Radio, and it's available on all good podcasting platforms. So by all means, do dip in and check out interviews. Yeah. So Net Support Radio and EdTech Shared. Did I get it right? You did indeed, sir. Thank you. Brilliant. So check those out, Ruckus Makers, for sure. All right. So Ed, the last few questions. Uh, One would be, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message be? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a message I like for younger learners, so it may not okay. fit on every school, which is about aspiration. And it's probably one that many will have heard, which is that shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll end up in the stars. 
Yeah. And I think that aspirational message really works. Probably the last couple of years, I might have just added on the end of that, how are you today? And I think mm-hmm. that taking a few moments just to stop and ask people how they're doing, never underestimate the value of that empathy and, and just making time for other people. Yeah, yeah, just checking in. I mean, they're human beings. They're not cogs in the system uh, if you handle them appropriately. All right, so now I think you're going to love this, this question for sure. You're building a school from, your ground, from the ground up. It's your dream school. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation, Al, is your imagination. So how would Al build his dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? Well, I have to confess here that I have been res- involved as a um, trust and building three schools from the right, ground up right. alongside our established schools. Sadly, the bit about budget wasn't something that I Factors was in. provided unlimited. <laughs> so, so slightly shaped. So things that would be my kind of key things that I would want to focus on, and I think kind of tie in with the bigger picture. So one is, and you might be surprised with that, environment. I actually think a space that inspires learning, everything mm. from the light, the temperature, the space, the color, air quality. There is so much increasing research about actually providing a space to learn as well as a sure. place to learn that yeah. I think we, we underestimate it. And I reference that because certainly here in the UK and in many countries, there are fixed dimensions for a standard approved classroom. And every year they get a little bit smaller and a little bit less roomy and airflow gets a little bit more restricted. And we just have to think Mm -hmm. as people, where do we best relax and learn? Um, The second is probably um, not surprising given my passion for technology. Um, I think within a school, I, I think there's so much potential now to really integrate a diverse range of technologies in the learning spaces that allow for flexible teaching and learning and engage all learner types. And again, we're perhaps when the budget's limited, we tend to standardize very quickly because economies of scale, buying kit. But actually, mm-hmm. sometimes the most exciting stuff can be when you've got different types of technology for different types of learners. And I think that's an area where if the budget was unlimited, I'd love to unlock the creativity of learners by giving them more technology to use where appropriate and where obviously evidence informed, Danny. But nonetheless, you know, sometimes you just want those creative tools to just say, go crazy, show us what you can make with some of these tools. Uh, And then the last one, um, and it is the most important one, is never mind the bricks and mortar and the technology. It would be having the funds to employ the right people that would set the tone and ethos of our settings because Mm -hmm. fundamentally, you know, that's the key. And in every school we've either grown or built from the ground up, the measure of success or failure has been the strength of the staff, the leadership who bought into the vision and actually taken it from something that was written in a Word document and turned it into something that actually could be felt and embraced by our children. Wonderful. Well, Al, I've really appreciated having you as a guest here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground as well of everything we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I think of all the things I've covered, it was a very brief tag on the end. Just take a minute to ask people how they're doing. Take an extra minute, either before or after meetings, just go that extra mile. And now more than ever, I think we all value that. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. 
If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.